Hello, and welcome back to Go Native, the business of native plants. My name is Mitzi Sosa, and I am your host, and I am so happy to be back with another episode. This time, we're going to travel to the south of Florida. We are talking to... Go ahead. Hi, my name is Jane Thompson. I own Indian Trails Native Nursery in West Palm Beach. That's right. Jane Thompson, owner of Indian Trails Native Nursery in Lake Worth, Florida. Indian Trails Native Nursery is a certified minority business enterprise that grows, designs, delivers, and installs Florida native plants for sustainable landscaping. The nursery serves both wholesale and retail customers. But Jane is always on the go. But she's stopping today to speak to us, so thank you, Jane. We'll get started by you telling us about the first native plant business you started and how it started. So in 1998, um, uh, I purchased Indian Trails Nursery from a man named Michael Dasky, who started the business in 1986. At that time, the nursery was thriving, it was a thriving business, and through hard work and dedication, we continue in his footsteps by focusing on much of the same plant species that he did, the grasses, the ground covers, wildflowers, shrubs, trees, and some aquatics. Um... At that time, I had just had my first child and wanted to leave my then white-collar job. I was in tech support with Tribune Company and wanting to, to be with my son, so I, I left that job, took my retirement money, and purchased this nursery, so that which was right next door to my house, so that I could then be with my child. Um, little did I know the hard work that would be ahead of me. <laughs> emphasize hard very hard work what plants did you start growing at the beginning were you mostly growing wildflowers or something else no it was a it was a combination of all of those the grass it's really in order to supply the demand for landscapers it's important to have kind of a distributed palette so like for example the grasses cord grass muley grass um Sakahatchee grass, ground covers would be things like sunshine mimosa, twin flower, wildflowers, just a whole assortment of wildflowers, shrubs, um, many different shrubs, coffee, caper, privet, et cetera, et cetera, trees. So that when you when a landscaper comes in to purchase, they, they don't just have one um, type of thing that they're buying for the landscape that they want to install. They have an assortment. Everything that you would need to put in a landscape with the different tiers, trees being the tallest tier, shrubs the second tier, then the grasses and ground covers, etc. Did you find it hard to manage the needs, like the dirt, for so many different plants? That's a really, really good question. And and yes, um, first of all, we don't call it dirt. We call it soil. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you call it dirt to Atlas Peaton Soil, who is our local soil provider, they'll they'll smack you on the hand and say, it's not dirt, it's soil. <laughs> You're giving away how much of a greenhorn I am in the industry. I used to call it dirt, too, until <laughs> I was reprimanded. So um, to answer the question, so I'm in West Lake Worth, and I have a very hard time, and I've tried, growing cr- scrub material. The majority of what I grow is pine flatwood material and coastal upland or maritime hammock type species. For some reason, we, it just seems to work here with the, with the couple of different soil mixtures that I use and with my watering rotation. 
I'm sure if I tried a little harder with those scrub materials and put them off in a spot where they wouldn't get any water, that would be another story. But but my focus is primarily on, and it, it seems to work seamlessly, so I'm, I'm going with that, is pine flatwood species and cold maritime hammock species. And it makes sense, too, because most of the landscapes that you do, if you and some people will disagree, uh, when you landscape around a house, it's all fill. So coastal maritime hammock species thrive in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. But everyone, uh, not everyone, but there's a drainage um, requirement by the Lakewood Drainage District in, in many of the homes that are built where there's a swale sort of outside of that mound that you have your house up on. And that's where the pine flatwood species work best, is down where it may have a high water table or may have seasonal flooding. And what has kept you going? What do you wish you knew when you started? Uh, well, what I know now that I wish I knew when I started was that there are cyclical economic downturns that you must be prepared for. That several years ago took me completely by surprise. Had I had a business degree, certainly I probably would have been able to weather that better. We barely made it through, but but we... We did, and Indian Trails is thriving today. In fact, I can't keep enough product on the shelf. So that, that in and of itself, is one of the most important things. If you're getting into a business long term, you've got to be prepared for those downturns. Uh, another thing that was surprising for me about the business, this farming business in Florida, I grew up in, in New England, and my, my mother's family had a farm for, for generations. And as I think back, they closed down in the winter, and and so they they had a seasonal business there too. So, so farming is in essence a seasonal business. So that was surprising for me in terms of the money flow. You know, you have the seasonal ebb through the years has changed, but back ten years ago, I've been doing this for twenty two years, and ten years ago, summertime, if you didn't have enough cash to carry you through, you were struggling. So you'd have to tighten your belt. But but then when the season picked up again, you would have to work like the Dickens to to get that extra money to carry you through the off season. So so that was something that I wasn't aware of and learned about. However, through the years, I don't know why it's changed, but I don't at Indian Trails have that seasonal ebb and flow anymore. The summers are just as busy as the winters. So um, so I just wanted to touch on that. Um, Let's also touch a little bit more on what are some of the most rewarding things, in your opinion, of owning the nursery. The reward? Um, geez, what are the rewards? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The most rewarding thing, I guess, would be um, my my old job as a tech support person in a white collar industry at the Tribune newspaper was dog eat dog. You know, people climbing the ladder, always had to be politically aware of things happening. I hated that. When I joined this Florida Association of Native Nurseries, there was none of that. Everybody welcomed me in with open arms because we all shared the same mission that we wanted to try to get these natives out there in the marketplace to provide more sustainable landscaping options than the typical tropical plants. So the the rewards were just the social aspect of it and the peer camaraderie. And I could also say that, that living on this farm is just really, really peaceful. So I live in a more urban area here in South Florida, and 
driving into your nursery, I see beautiful open land. Is it a benefit to have that much open space? How was that? How has that played a part in having space for your children to grow up? Yeah, the funny thing about that is my kids hate being outside. <laughs> Here we we bought all this land to raise our kids on, and when I was that, we were in the woods exploring. So I, I wanted that for them as well. So buying out here, I thought they would be just be all over the woods in the, in the cypress head everywhere. But they they turned out to be techies and little nerds. So <laughs> unfortunately, I think what will happen is they're now 21 and 22. I think as they age, I think they'll come back around to it, being exposed to that as they grew up and the peaceful nature of that. Because when they do come visit, they've since grown up and moved out. When they do come visit, they do revel in the peaceful atmosphere out here. Um, and as far as the space required for the nursery, when I bought the nursery in 98, Michael had um, two sites. He had he, he had quite the thing going on. He had a five-acre lot in a different field in a different part of town. And then he had this 10-acre site outfitted. And it, it was it was really booming back there before that recession. So what um, what happened, though, was then when that recession hit, I had to scale back to five acres and diversify. So I leased out two portions of – it's a 10-acre, two separate five-acre parcels. So I leased out the north five acres to two different people for income to come in because of that recession. I still stay – it was important because we couldn't keep up the quality. Uh, the plants were not selling – they were they were just declining in the pots, going to pot. So you know, I donated a, a considerable amount of them to a project that the uh, city of Lake Worth was doing called Snook Islands um, for, for a project that they were doing because they ran out of money. So rather than just put them on the burn pile, I said, look, just take these, put them in this project. I don't want anything. Just And so I donated much of the material that was declining throughout the recession and scaled back and tried to focus on quality. Um, and I still do that today. I'm still operating just on five acres. So I'm completely scaled back and focusing on quality and it's doing, it's, it's working out very well. Yeah. Everyone I'm interviewing has had to adapt as a result of that recession. There really isn't a handbook that you could give someone because who knows what will happen? Like this pandemic, how does someone plan for it? Now, well, the, the pandemic um, actually has been good for business. I know that's a horrible thing to say because it's a horrible thing that's happening to so many people that are losing their lives and becoming very severely ill. But but it's actually caused people to just stop and take a break, and 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 mm-hmm. or they're forced to because they're forced to lock down and and look at their surroundings, their own environment. And I and I think that too, it's it's causing them to need to have more uh, nature in their life. I mean, we've seen studies and research that shows that immersing in nature is really therapeutic, and I think a lot of people are reaching out for that. I can't keep enough wildflowers on the benches. People are, are calling wildflowers so that they can create these little butterfly gardens in their backyard for them and their, their kids and them to just get outside and get out of the the house and and do something in nature and just feel connected to the earth so so i just graduated from uh florida atlantic university and i did some research there with native plants and and green spaces um so i was working with the public health office within the university so um what you're saying about people benefiting from green open spaces was a thing that we 
wanted to push for a lot during during the pandemic and really just for any any students that that are on campus to to have a, a space to you know connect to earth as you say and i think we really did see people connect to the outside a lot more during this pandemic just you know going outside so do you think that as people become more aware of the benefits of native plants green spaces do you think we will be moving toward landscapes that look more natural i question because i just had a very disturbing experience with a customer um okay so we have what they call snowbirds um folks (laughs) that live up north and then they come down here and they go back and forth but the pandemic has forced them to stay, and, and so they're they're doing their things. So I have this one client who called and who was recommended by her neighbor. And when they contacted me, we had a few different meetings about some landscaping that they would like to have in their very large lot in a planned unit development. Now, typically, those planned unit developments have very sterile, non-native landscaping, and that is pruned regularly, boxed. Uh, very neat, very tidy, but they asked for something more natural and different than what everyone else has in in their yard. So I planned this this uh, we, we removed several areas of their lawn and put in uh, landscape beds, and uh, they hired me because they wanted to not only have something different than their neighbors, but they wanted to attract birds, butterflies, and such. So it's all these these Florida native plants in these different beds, removing a considerable amount of sod, and all of a sudden, here come the rabbits. The rabbits are eating up the plants that we installed in their landscaping. The woman was completely beside herself and practically trembling at the thought of these rabbits. And I said, it brings joy to my heart to see that these rabbits have something to eat because there isn't a whole lot for them to be eating around here. And I said, why is it so bad that you have the rabbits? And she said, because they'll be sleeping in the grass. I didn't know how to respond to that. I just didn't know how to respond to that. So I actually, she was so angry and adamant about these rabbits and wildlife eating her plants. I I, I was just at a loss for words. I, I didn't even know how to educate this woman because she just couldn't, she couldn't, fathom the idea that the, the butterflies and worms are going to be eating her Chapman Senna that I installed for her. So long story short, the only the only saving grace was I agreed to, at my cost, replace eight of the plants that were being devoured the most with eight of her choosing. And I, and I did that yesterday. And I'm going to go back and trap those rabbits and rehome them in my woods. It's crazy that people want butterflies and other wildlife, but don't realize that they need to eat the plants. <laughs> That is how ecosystems work. (laughs) Educating. I have a hard time educating some of the people that I deal with that are like this woman. I don't know how to turn them around, so to speak. (laughs) So I I could use some lessons on that. (laughs) So what is the most common mistake that you think native plant growers make? Something that might hold them back. I'm not aware of, well, maybe for me, it's being able to turn people like that around. Um, maybe that's a common mistake of mine um, because it's so much easier when folks come in and they share the same mission and they are just really, really um, 
ready to change their landscaping from non-native to native, or at least change part of it. But I'm not, I'm not really aware of any common mistake or changes that I've seen over the years involving running a farm. All I know is that maybe, well, I can't imagine anybody going into farming would not realize it's going to be hard work. All I have to say is you just must be prepared for the hard work, the dedication, perseverance, and the commitment and to be prepared to tighten your belt when times are tough and work like the dickens when times are good so definitely a lot of hard work what changes have you seen over the years that make it easier or harder to become a native plant grower and are there tools or resources that make it easier not tools like a rake and a shovel you're talking about tools like uh advertising tools and and using technology sure it can be one one thing yeah um I guess getting at making sure that you have a brand and getting your brand out there. I use uh, because they're readily available and practically free. So I host my website for under ten dollars a month on Vistprint. It's it's very inexpensive and I only get three pages, but it it works extremely well. Mm-hmm. I ask people periodically how they found me and it's either word of mouth or they found me on Google or uh, and and if they found me on Google most of the times it's because of the way that Vistaprint my my website to be spidered or I don't know what it terms anymore it's been years but um, the search engines find me because Vistaprint has hooks in it the way that it would allow for people to find me. I can't tell you how many times people calling me saying, hey, I saw your website. We can recommend some changes to make it better. And I'm like, I don't need any changes because it works just fine. I get many, 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 many people finding me that way. So so that's one way. And then Facebook. Hmm. I will take photographs of the photos on the benches and, and uh, post them on Facebook and boost the post. And I can boost the post across uh, however many miles I want, nationally or locally. Uh, so that works very, very well. I get a lot of engage- post engagements that way. Um, I will also boost at my cost. I'll see certain, like about the monarchs, that, that there was an article that came up showing how the monarchs are becoming further extinct. Mm-hmm. Different articles that I feel are really, really important for our industry. So I'll boost those posts at my cost via Facebook. Um, mechanics there. So there's those two, and then uh, the search engine, you know, FAN, FAN in the Institute of Regional Conservation, they have some really good search engines with some really good information. FAN offering, you know, members across the state and plants that are provided by those members and their advertising, but the Institute for Regional Conservation is really, really, really instrumental. I actually have links to their site from my uh, website, and when you search the plant on their uh, website, at least for South Florida, they're trying to move more towards Central Florida, but but their primary database includes South Florida species. You can get a really, really good um, set of information about different plants through IRC. Um, so the Internet uh, over the years obviously is, is, is an instrumental in reaching customers and disseminating the information that we're trying to disseminate about native plants. And that education about native plants is very valuable. So I'm going to bring us back to kind of just wrap up here. I have one last question for you. 
and it's gonna help us wrap up what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes if you could design a beginning native plant grower program what would you make sure it included i don't know if i could design a beginning native plant grower program definitely you know i i think some of the things that i've learned through the years i took this course it was a landscape technician course through fngla and I learned a lot about, I mean, you're talking beginner, beginner. I learned a lot about the importance of botanical names versus common names, mm-hmm. um, the, the different characteristics of a plant and how to recognize the different characteristics of a plant to determine the family. I don't know that that's very necessary or not, but, you know, it's good scientific information and makes you knowledgeable. I think of a program uh, for a beginner involving those basic business knowledge about the, the economic cycles, I think that's important. You know, things that really hit us hard, the seasonal ebbs and flows, being involved in the best management practices because of our water quality and how important it is to keep our wa- water quality, fix the water quality from the phosphorus runoff. Getting, I think that propagation techniques are very, very important. There are still a couple of, of species I can't figure out 22 years later and I can't figure it out <laughs> Marlberry I just can't do it I can't figure it out and then I guess just making sure that they that these beginners are aware if these beginners are truly interested in growing Florida native plants that they are aware of like-minded groups like the Florida Native Society Florida Association of Native Nursery, Institute for Regional Conservation, because those are resources that they can use to to further uh, increase their knowledge about Native and where to get them. And where to get them. That is very important indeed. All right, folks, that is all we have for you today. Jane Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a great load of fun, and I feel like we've learned so much already from you. <laughs> if you want to take a road trip down to Lake Worth, Florida, You can stop by and visit Indian Trails Native Nursery and meet Jane Thompson yourself. Remember to keep an eye out for even more podcasts coming your way. We will have Dave Cipini joining us in the future and also Steve Beeman to come talk about some of his bee mats. You can head on over to nativeplanthort.org and learn even more about the Native Plant Horticulture Foundation and about some educational opportunities so you can learn even more about native plants. To find your nearest native plant nursery and get your own natives, you can visit the Florida Association for Native Nurseries website at fann.org. Thank you everyone for listening and see you next time.